So it is exciting to be here. I have been tremendously blessed by Jubilee Church over the years, and um, this is not a payback moment. Um, This is a moment that I get to enjoy um, to come and serve you all this weekend and to be with you. And so thanks for coming out. I, I I know that um, sometimes weather can be that easy excuse. Saturday morning can be an easy excuse. And I just know that in my life, in the Bible, and in others' lives, that God rushes to faith. And when you step out in faith and you show up believing God has something for you, um, I don't want to um, project onto you, but I'm imagining that some of you have come today wanting something from God, wanting something from the Holy Spirit in particular. And I just know that God rushes to faith. And so I'm excited about today. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what God does. Uh, And so what I'm going to try to do is we're going to go fast and then we're going to slow down. So we're going to get through some material, want to lay a biblical foundation, and then uh, we'll slow down and we'll receive from the Holy Spirit and enjoy his presence together. So um, first I just want to say a few things. One is um, it's important that we are people who know our Bible. I know that sounds like kind of a, wow, you came up with that on your own. But that this, it's important that we are a people that know our Bible. It actually is pleasing, pleasing to Jesus that we know his word. It's pleasing to him that we know um, what he has said and what he has done for us and through people over the history of the world and what he's doing today. And so it's important that we know our Bible. And so... Um, Unapologetically, we are going to look at a bunch of verses today. We're not going to put any of them on the screen. If you have some note-taking devices, please take notes. Um, because we, we need to be people who are rooted in the scriptures when it comes to especially the things of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's, it can be, uh, the Holy Spirit can be somewhat of a polarizing figure in today's world. So you have churches that are really strong in word. And they kind of minimize the Holy Spirit. And then you have churches that are kind of strong in the Holy Spirit. And then they minimize the word. And uh, there's something dangerous and radical about churches and something pleasing to God when churches hold to the word and the spirit. That we give weight to the word of God and we give weight to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That something uh, is kind of activated when you have the truth of the word of God and the experience of the word of God through the Holy Spirit that makes us uh, a people that are to be uh, feared by Satan and his demonic forces. Because we hold to the truth and we hold to the power. And with those two together, there are a lot of things that um, could happen. And so I'm excited about that. I think, too, the other side of it is I'm, I'm nervous about, for my own church, I'm nervous for your church and other churches, that if we don't know the Bible, we are vulnerable to heretical movements. And so we're, we're, we hear something clever from a preacher, and we say, yeah, that sounds good. And yet it actually goes against God's word, or it just doesn't flat out match up with God's word. And so when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit, we just don't want to buy into what others have said. We want to buy into what the Bible says. And I think the Bible says enough about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit has come to do, uh, that we don't need to make up stuff, we don't need to add to it, and we certainly don't need to subtract from it. So um, Acts 2.39 says, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's for you. Turn to yourself and say, it's for me. Okay, so 
just to, just to clarify off the, right from the beginning, what we're talking about today, the, the, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for each and every one of you in the room. There is not one of you that is disqualified from receiving the things of the Holy Spirit to receiving the love of the, the Father through the Holy Spirit, that each one of you is qualified because of what we were singing about, the love of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. We go to the cross first, and then we get to the Holy Spirit, that, that he came and he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we all deserve to die. He rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. First, we go to the cross, knowing that it's not my qualification that gets me anything from God. It's Jesus' qualification on my behalf that gets me everything I need from God. And now we can go boldly and receive. So anybody here today, just right off the bat, who feels, well, that's not for me. That's for those mature Christians or special Christians. Uh-uh. You just said it yourself. It's for you. It's for you. The promise is for you. So let me try to lay a, a foundation in this session, try to take you through a bunch of scripture, take you through the foundations of, of the Bible story, and uh, then we'll move into some more specifics. See, the definition that I often use for the church is this, that the church is the people of God on mission. The church is the people of God on mission. So what makes the people of God? What makes us the people of God? Well, we've got to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. In his image, he created them. Both Adam and Eve created in the image of God. And, and the way he created Adam, it, we're told, is that he formed Adam out of the dust. I mean, imagine, if you can, this moment in history where he forms Adam out of the dust and he takes Adam by the cheeks. And it says that he breathed life into him. And the, the, the word that the Bible uses, this, this Hebrew word, ruach. Say ruach. It's a fun word to say. Say it occasionally throughout the day. It'll make you happy. <laughs> and, and he takes Adam by the cheeks. And it says that he breathed into Adam his ruach. Now, ruach can be translated the wind, the breath. And it can be translated the spirit, the spirit of God, the ruach of God, the spirit of God. This is the wind, the breath, the spirit. Meaning that Adam was uniquely created out of all the animals on the face of the earth. He was uniquely created to have a capacity for the spirit of God to dwell in him. And, and so God uh, is present with Adam and Eve. We're actually told in this tragic story of sin, when sin entered the world in Genesis 3.8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? What makes us the people of God on his mission? Well, the people of God here are marked by his presence. His presence is with Adam and Eve. Where was God? He was in the garden in the cool of the day calling out to Adam and Eve. Even after they had sinned, he says, hey, what's going on here? He's present with them. Now, hold that intention with this. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So presence, he's with them in the garden. He's breathed life into them. They're uniquely created to have a capacity for his spirit to live in them. And also, they are... On mission. Now, even before sin entered the world, they're on mission. Fill the earth 
and subdue it, fill the earth. They are image bearers. God's plan was that his glory would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's his, restore, his restoration plan as well. But his plan from the beginning is that Adam and Eve would have kids who have kids who have kids who have kids that would fill the earth with his image. Now, when the image was shattered through sin, we're going to see that that's still his plan is to fill the earth with image bearers. So God sent them on mission, and, he, and, and, and so they got purpose, and he, he's with them. He's present with them. There's this tension throughout the whole story of God. They're on mission, and his presence is with them. And so when we, when we advance through the history of the Bible, we come to places like in Abraham, where there's a man named Abram who's living in obscurity, pagan worshiper, living in Iraq, and God plucks him out of obscurity and says, you will be mine, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to every other family on the face of the earth. What is that? That's mission, right? Now, we, his presence is with him because when God says, I'm so serious about you getting involved in this mission that I'm going to make a covenant with you. And when they make a covenant, they take these animals and they split the animals, heads over here, butts over here. And then it says that, that God's presence went through the middle of them. Mission and presence go hand in hand throughout the story of God. That his presence goes through. And God's basically saying, I'm putting my name on the line. This will happen. My name is on the line. And if one of us breaks this covenant, we will be like these animals who have been split in two. Now, fast forward to the cross. It was Jesus who took our end of the deal. Our end of the deal. We didn't live up to it. Abraham didn't live up to it. His kids didn't live up to it. But Jesus took that and was broken for us. Genesis 12.1, just to read it to you, says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Mission. Mission and presence. God is present through the the covenant that they make together. And so the story goes on throughout the Old Testament. Israel was to be a blessing to all the other nations on the face of the earth. They failed to do so time and time again. In fact, God was so intent on them becoming blessings to other nations that they went into captivity at times and said, I will help you bless other nations. So we get stories like Joseph, who goes into uh, Egypt. He's a tremendous blessing to the nation of Egypt. Um, and we have these stories where like people like Daniel, they're blessing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're blessings to other nations. Now, I think God would have wanted a different way, but they were forced into being a blessing to other nations. Now, there was mission. Now, there's presence. Exodus 3. I'm just sorry. I'm going to run through some verses here. Exodus 3. Moses uh, is shepherding his flock and turns off the road to a burning bush. God's present with Moses. He is there, and, and God's presence is there with a bush that's on fire, but the bush is not consumed by the fire. It's God's presence, and he says to him, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to ask Pharaoh to let my people go. Presence, mission. Exodus 19, Israel shows up at Mount Sinai, this holy mountain. God's presence is there. God's presence is on the mountain. It's so thick, so powerful, so dangerous that you couldn't even touch the mountain. You couldn't even come close to the mountain or you would be consumed by the mountain. Exodus 32 and 33, Israel is disobedient and God announces to them, hey, listen, I'm not going to lead you any further. I'm going to withdraw my presence 
and an angel will lead you into this promised land. And we have this amazing, amazing statement from Moses. Exodus 33, 15 through 16. Moses is contending with God. And he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses knows a truth that we need to know too. We are unique, not because we do some social justice things in the city. We are unique, not because we learn about a Bible. We are unique, not because we join together in community groups and love on each other and care for each other. We are unique because God's presence is with us. That's the only thing that makes the church different from the YMCA and the Rotary Club and whatever organization you want to belong to. That we are the people of God in the presence of God on his mission together. Exodus 40, 35 says that the tabernacle was filled with the presence of God. 1 Kings 8, 11 says that Solomon constructed a temple and the temple became the dwelling place of God. God's presence fell and rested in the temple. Gordon Fee, in an excellent book, if you're looking to read more on this subject, Paul the Spirit and the People of God by Gordon Fee. Paul the Spirit and the People of God by Gordon Fee is an excellent book on this subject. And Gordon Fee writes, More even than the law, therefore, or other identity markers such as circumcision, food laws, and Sabbath observance, God's presence with Israel distinguishes them among, uh, as his people. It's his presence. It wasn't that they had a special law. That was, that was important. It wasn't that they had, had circumcision and Sabbath. That was important for them. But it was actually his presence that made them unique among all the other people on the face of the earth. Now, we could go on throughout the story of God. But let me get to some of the prophets. Ezekiel is a prophet. And Ezekiel in 37.27, Ezekiel 37.27 says, this is the promise of God. He says, I will dwell among them and they shall be my people. God's promise through Ezekiel says, I will dwell among them. They will be my people. There is something in the heart of God. His desire is to be present with his people. That, th- that is God's desire that he has been working to restore. Since the moment that sin entered the world and broke our relationship with God, broke our relationship with each other, broke our relationship with ourselves... God has been restoring that and working to restore this, that he says, I will be present with my people. That is, the, that is the end game for God, that he would have a people, he would be present with those people, and that we would enjoy him and he would enjoy us. So uh, fast forward, Jesus enters the scene, and he is what is known as the image of the unseen God. When Jesus shows up, he is the image of the unseen God. What is God like? Well, we've find out so much about what God is like. How does God care for the poor and the sinner and the outcast? We find out so much about that through the life and ministry of Jesus. We're told that he is Emmanuel, that he's God with us. We never want to rob Jesus of his divinity, right? I mean, we don't want to rob him of his humanity either. He was tired, he was hungry, he was human, and yet we can't rob him of his divinity. That's poor theology. He did not lay aside his divinity. He did not lay aside his divinity. He is God with us 
is the very presence of God, the very nature of God wrapped up in flesh. And he comes and he shows us a few things. One is he shows us that he wants to restore. So that's why he healed people. That sickness wasn't a part of this thing at the beginning. Death was not a part of this thing at the beginning until sin entered the world. Uh, the, the demonic influence in people's lives, this kind of evil influence in people's lives, that was not a part of this thing until sin entered the world. And Jesus begins to show us, as God is with us, God is present with us, he shows us this mission of restoring all things. He wants to restore all things back to the way his father intended it to be. So, and before he ascends into heaven, he says in Matthew 28, 18, says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 18, obviously famous words spoken about this great commission. This is the mission that you're to be on. But don't forget that he tags on to that statement that I will be with you always. Presence in mission. Presence in mission. This theme that goes throughout the whole of the scriptures. And just, by the way, it's the same thing as Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. Those are the same things. That's the same mission that God has been on since the beginning of time. As we make disciples who go on to make disciples who go on to make disciples, the image of God is being restored in us. It was shattered when sin entered the world. It's being put back together. It's being restored. And as disciples fill the earth, so does the glory of God until the waters cover the earth. It's the same commission. God has been on the same mission to restore, to fill the earth with his glory. And then he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, to the very end of the age. We're going to talk a little bit about what that word age means. But we come to, as we kind of move through the story, we come to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is what's known as Pentecost. It is the moment where Jesus had ascended into heaven. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're told that the Father and the Son pour out the Holy Spirit. They give us the Holy Spirit. And... Um, there is this outpouring of the Spirit that empowers the disciples, the presence of God and the mission of God. So immediately, they receive the Holy Spirit, and what do they do? They go on mission. There's that connection again. There's this theme that runs throughout. And, and let me just try to break this down. See, Jesus made the new, the new covenant, this new covenant that it is not by the law that we are saved, but it's by grace through faith that we have received this free gift of righteousness because of what Jesus has done for us. This is the new covenant. Uh, Jesus made the new covenant effective for the people of God through his death and resurrection. But listen, the Holy Spirit is the key to the new covenant being fulfilled in the lives of God's people. So let me, let me break that down. Jesus made the new covenant effective. It is now possible for us to be fully received, fully welcomed, and loved by the Father because of what Jesus has done for us, because of his finished work. He has made the new covenant effective, and yet the Holy Spirit's role is that it would become a fulfilled reality for us. That there's, there is a truth 
that we are saved by grace. And there's an experience to be had through the Holy Spirit that makes it a reality for us. There was always this moment where there was, Jesus taught on this, and we're going to look at some of these things today. But he began to teach his disciples, look, I want you not just to know something. I want you to experience this. I want you to live in the reality of this. Not just that it's some sort of doctrinal truth that has happened. Because I, I think I lived in that my life for a lot of portion of my life that, okay, I believe that. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that I'm forgiven. I, I believe that. But there's a moment when the Holy Spirit rushes into your life where you begin to experience that. And it just opens things up to say, like, I know, but now I know. And you experience the things of the Holy Spirit. You experience the love of the Father. So anyways, this, this Acts 2 moment happens. There's, there's people being saved and added in. And there's this thing called the church that's beginning to form and shape. And um, then we're told by Paul the Apostle that the church is God's temple. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. The temple was the sacred. This is what got Jesus into trouble. He said, I'm going to tear down the temple. The temple's coming down. He didn't say I was going to tear it down. He says, the temple's coming down and, 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 and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. That was it. Like, okay, now we're definitely killing you. Like the, the temple was sacred. The temple was the, the, the religious, this, this sacred thing that, that for, for good reason, it was where God's presence historically had dwelled uniquely on the earth. It was where the law was preached. It was where the sacrifices were made. Now, Jesus is the very nature of God. He is God's presence. He was the temple. He's the fulfillment of the law and he's the ultimate once and for all sacrifice. He was the temple. And so when he said the temple's coming down, I'm going to rebuild it in three days, he spoke about himself. And then he says, Paul says, in God's word, you are the temple. You are the temple. It was this historical, unique place on the planet where God's presence dwelled, the law was preached, sacrifices were made. Jesus was that. Now we're that. We are the dwelling place of God. Now, let's get to the end of the story. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. This is Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Verse 2 says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's the end game. Restored. God with his people. No more sickness. No more sadness. No more sin. 
no obstacles to us in our relationship with God, everything restored to the way it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. So if we place ourselves in history then, if we attempted to place ourselves in history, that we have this, these, this word through the ages. So we have this uh, present age that we've lived in. It's a present age. The Bible calls it this present evil age. This is not a good age to live in. How many of you know that? When you come sick, you hear you're sick, you're, we hear uh, terrible things on the news about our brothers and sisters in Egypt. You, you hear these, these uh, unbelievable stories of just suffering and struggle. I do not have to convince you that this world is not perfect, do I? Now, Jesus came, and this is when Jesus arrived, it was his first coming. Jesus showed up on the scene, and he came to the earth. And when he came to the earth... He began to heal people. He began to uh, raise the dead. He began to cast out demons. And he began to declare that the kingdom of God was at hand, that the kingdom of God was being ushered in. And so he started to usher in this new age, this new age, which is the age to come. So he brings in with him this new way of life. That it doesn't have to be that way anymore. God is restoring things. He's redeeming things. He's bringing things back to the way it was before sin entered the world. Now, we still live, though, because he's coming back a second time. How many of you know that? You guys talk about that in this church? (laughs) So he's coming back a second time. And once he does, we're told here that it's over. This present evil age will be over. Satan and, and his friends are going to be cast into the fiery pit. There will no longer be sin, suffering, and sadness, and sickness. That it's over. Lights out. Until then, though, we still live with the tension of this present age, right? And yet we live, Jesus said, that we could do what he did. Even greater things will he do in his name. We'll look at that a little bit more later. But we live in this age where the kingdom of God can break in now. That the kingdom of God can break in now. So even as we worship today, that was the kingdom of God on display. That we were his people in love with our king. Singing the praises of our king. Anytime you go out on mission and you serve those who are in need. And you care for the sick and you do these things. You are bringing in the kingdom of God. Now more intensely than that though. Anytime you pray for the sick and see the sick healed. It's the kingdom of God breaking in. On earth as it is in heaven. It's... On earth as it is in heaven, meaning in heaven there is no sickness. And we just invite the presence of heaven to come into this moment. And yet, let's be honest, we don't always see everybody healed that we pray for. We don't always see the dead come back to life. We still see people tormented because we live in a present age. We live in a present age. So we live in this overlap, this this now and this not yet of the kingdom of God breaking in. Now, it's up to you, though, to, to kind of come to grips with, do we live in the now and the not yet, or do we live in the now and the not yet? That we would believe that, that Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. The kingdom of God is here. And, it, and it's been given, the keys of the kingdom have been given to people like you and I. I mean, it's almost irresponsible. It's like me giving my nine-year-old the keys last night. Dad's a little tired. Why don't you take it home here? And it is irresponsible of God unless he's present with us and he's filled us with the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7, 
Jesus said to his disciples in a very unpopular thing to say, he says, it's good for you that I go away. Is it? (laughs) We've been enjoying you. It's been fun. He says, it's good for you that I go away. Now, we get clarity on why he says that in John 14, 16. Because in John 14, 16, it says, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, Jesus says to his disciples, I will give you another. Now, this word uh, another, this is hugely important that we understand what that means. <laughs> I know it sounds simple, but we need to know what that word another means. So in the original text that is used, it actually means the exact replica of. My, my dad traveled a lot when I was growing up, and he would come home from all these foreign countries, and he would bring shoes that were kind of like Reeboks. You know, they, had like, they were like Weeboks. They had like a different letter added in. It was kind of like a polo shirt, except the horse didn't have legs or whatever. You know, it was, it, it was, it was kind of like the same thing, except this is not what this word means. This word means another, meaning an exact replica of. So Jesus doesn't say to them, you're going to get some more help through this, uh, this, this Greek word parakletos, which, which is the hard word to translate. It means comforter, counselor, advocate, helper. He says, actually, you're going to get another helper, comforter, advocate, but it's going to be exactly like me. Exactly like me. Exact replica of. And he actually said to them at the, at the end of that, he says, he says um, in 14, what was I, 16 or something like that? Yeah. He says, even the spirit, this is verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But he says to them, you know him. Do we? I thought there were 12 of us. Did we miss one? Who's he talking about? Well, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. You know him. You know him. And so there's this moment, there's this, this, this idea of, hey, we're, I'm going to give you another. Uh, I've got to go so that this other one can, can come. It, it doesn't bless the disciples. It didn't bless them. to like we don't. Anyways, what else you got? We don't want to hear that talk from you. And, and he's, the idea of this Holy Spirit was threatening to them because this Holy Spirit was going to take the place of Jesus. They loved Jesus. They were beginning to like, just be like, wow, we will do anything to follow this Jesus. We will lay down our lives for him because he's so amazing. And Jesus simply says to them, I will give you another. And it, 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 it kind of it makes them feel sad. It makes them feel upset. They feel threatened by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say, I think in our churches today, we can be like that when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Like, let's not talk about the Holy Spirit too much because we want to really spend most of the time talking about Jesus. You ever get confused about that? Like, I mean, people ask me at our church, like, who do you pray to? Do you pray to the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? The exact replica. The exact replica. 
that he says, listen, this is the exact replica. We don't want to minimize Jesus, so we get insecure when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't want us to be insecure talking about the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know that he has given us the promise throughout all of history. That's why we did all this back history just a minute ago. You still tracking with that? We did all this back history, God's presence with his people. He says, look, I am going to make it effective that the Spirit can be with you because I'm going to forgive you of your sins, past, present, and future. You can receive the Holy Spirit. This isn't going to be the Holy Spirit yo-yo. comes on you and then comes off of you because you said a swear word on the way in when, you, when your car <laughs> slipped off the road. No, this, you, have been, you have been forgiven. You need to repent of that, by the way. Repent of whatever you said. But, but you have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. You belong to him, and he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. 